ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Someone updated their software. Yeah, I did. Well, I have a new iPhone, actually. Probably, I've had this iPhone for a while, but I just haven't seen you in I don't know how long. Yeah, it's been a while. But welcome to, uh, you know, Osip Levadovich's podcast. <laughs> this is uh, Mike. Phil Napoli's podcast. You be Osip, I'll be Phil. <laughs> no, well, I was. Yeah. No. Uh, that's not going to work out. All right. This is. <laughs> When's the last time this happened? I don't know. This is a, a merry Mithra's birthday. <laughs> Present to all of our Canadian listeners. I think, I think appropriately it's happy Mithra's birthday. Happy, this is a, a happy Mithra's birthday present to all of our Canadian listeners. I'm Michael J. Flores. Brian David Marshall. This is the Top 8 Magic Podcast. As it, you it, can tell by the clanking sounds of construction going on. All right, what do we have to talk about? I don't know, man. There's like some Ether Revolt cards, but there's hardly any. Really, no magic going on. It's year end, though. We could talk about like the year, sort of a. I think it's obligatory that we kind of do a year in review. Uh. Obligatory? It's obligatory. We're obliged? I mean, could we talk about all kinds of things in the year of the review? So I was. Oh, yeah. I wasn't, I was, I wasn't talking about magic. Okay, I was, so I was. Hardly talking about magic. I was in Utah recently. Oh, yeah. Which we will not talk about oh. in detail. Oh, okay. But Aaron Murkinaka said that the Top 8 Magic podcast is his favorite podcast, overtaking certain other podcasts. Because, which is interesting because a year ago when I went, he's like, oh, no, I don't like it as much as certain other podcasts because of the audio quality. Yeah. But Aaron Murkinaka said that it's his favorite podcast now because he never knows what he's going to get. He's like, <laughs> he's just like, we, we don't know what we're going to bring you. Somebody might just talk for 20 minutes about Rudy Gobert. Right? Like, that's a thing that could happen. And uh, that would make him happy. So, anyway, um, think like I don't know there's like the the world there was the best one three comeback and the worst one three comeback of the year oh yeah oh, wow has it really been that long have we not <laughs> talked since baseball season ended we did not podcast since baseball ended jeez I will say something that was that, the greatest it was the greatest baseball game of all time I mean obviously not the outcome you not wanted. for my per- not not the no, outcome I, you wanted but like just in terms of like just a baseball game if you're just like like me you're not invested in either team like obviously I have friends from Cleveland I have friends from Chicago who I'm happy either way um, although I preferred slightly preferred the Cubs winning because it means I don't have to feel bad when the Mets knock them out of the playoffs next year so I mean this is what I thought like obviously there was an amazing comeback on the part of the Indians to yeah. go into like the, the ninth inning but I was just like when that rain delay happened I was like oh come on they had like all, they had all the velocity. I'm like, they were about to close it out, right? And then yeah. rain. And I was just like, oh, come on. And then, and then it was just, just I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's silly and, to speculate and it's, it's about kinda, and it's stuff that happens in a different way, universe at Because this point. the Indians had, like, a pretty ridiculous pitching staff throughout the season. And then it just got devastated by injury. Like, they had, like, basically one and a half pitchers going into the postseason. So, like, they're going to be really good next year. But they just like think, they thumped everyone going into the finals, I know, right? Like, I know. And then they were up three one. They just but it's just they ran out of pitching staff. Is that what happened? I mean their pitching's not their pitching's just not great. They weren't supposed to win. Like on pitching the Cubs just had them like But they murdered everyone. Like did yeah. they lose like one game going into the finals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think they're gonna be good next year. I'm excited about I'm excited for baseball. I want I baseball to get here already. But isn't baseball like I mean I, I don't know how to put this, like isn't baseball like way more 
erratic than some other sports. Like, people say this all the time, like, oh, this team's going to be great. These are all my reasons why. But isn't it the case that, like, baseball is super erratic? Pitching from year to year is just luck, right? So, whether something is a foul ball or, or like, uh, there, there's a certain, yes, or not is actually literally not up to the pitcher. There's 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 cert- a certain amount of like ground ball, you know, batted balls yeah, yeah, in yeah. play. Like, so, point being, like the the core of the game is this duel between the pitcher and the hitter, and we think no, about the, the core p- of the game is the duel between the front office. Okay, <laughs> fine, right, and, and the under- stupid managers okay, who under- implement their tools on the field. Right, agreed, but. In the game, the duels between the pitcher and the hitter, and we think about pitchers having certain skills, right? So they say like, "Oh, well, this guy's certain stuff. This stuff is filthy." Like these are the words they use. But what actually ends up happening to the ball sure. is just luck well, at, the, I, at the point at the at uh, the point that contact is made with certain pitchers. I mean, Clayton Kershaw and Noah Syndergaard and Chris Sale and the, like sort of the elite pitchers. Uh, what is it, Carrasco on the Indians? Like the elite pitchers mitigate that variance. Quite well. So my, this is what I would say. Tell me if this is accurate or not. There's yeah. pitchers who throw hard and throw fast, right? That's yeah. one thing. And they're hard. They're maybe they're like, maybe that's not they're as hard to hit if you if if you can predict them and you're the kind of person who has an eye like an eye that you could samurai sword the seam of a baseball. You know, like coming at you faster than a human eye can actually perceive it on average. That's one thing. But that there's different kind of pitchers and there's the pitchers. It, obviously, you know way more than I do about this, but who they can't get the bat on the ball, right? Versus people who are getting the bat on the ball, and then it lands in a certain place. Sure. That's actually the differentiating thing, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, the, they're very that there's a, pitchers. Yeah, so there are people who are like, okay, people get the bat on the ball, but this year they went foul or they ended up in the gloves of my or, teammates versus or can I, it can be it you know, can also be player. your team like your team's defensive like there's all sorts oh, of sure, defensive right? metrics for teams and like how how many errors did chicago have in that last game like cleveland shouldn't have been in it they just like dropped the ball a bunch you know so are any, you going to become a baseball fan now no, mike no are you yeah steve sadens it's steve sadens uh you know single life going away party uh, I think Eric Berger asked me, would I trade, like, one Cleveland Cavaliers title for, like, every other sports victory? That was, And I was like, yes, in a second. Yeah. Know? I don't care about other sports. You know that uh, the Cleveland Browns are in the hands of a former Mets front office executive now. You, you could cross over different sports. Is that like if I became, He like, did. Well, I mean, he was, if he I was like, like the, the GM of a Yu-Gi-Oh He was team. the assistant general manager to the Mets. He comes out of the Moneyball uh School in Oakland, yeah, right. Was the assistant GM at the Mets, Paul DePodesta. He's also in a, he's like the president of football Whoa. operations for the Browns. That, isn't he in the movie Moneyball? He is in the movie Moneyball. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so he is like the basically the president of the Browns or whatever. And like he's just, I think the Browns are going to be really good the next three years. I so, like, like nobody, nobody just does anything logical in football. Some part of me thinks that some of these skills aren't transferable. You know, like. If you if you look, he at, just tanked his team this year for the first round pick. Yeah, and traded for traded draft picks for multiple later draft picks. This like, sounds he's real seventy sixers to me. <laughs> like, I mean, I was a believer. And in the seventy sixers are going to trade him Joel Embiid. Oh. I mean, this is just deeply, deeply seventy sixers. Tight end, you could probably trade some basketball <laughs> players. I mean, Joel Embiid, he could just go back to the Mountain Dew diet. He could just go straight back to Shirley Temple's, and he would be. <laughs> He's a highly transferable. Actually, I think you might be too we, tall. Who was who was the having the someone was having the discussion on Facebook about LeBron James playing tight end in the NFL? Like, I think he'd be a running back, right? He could just put a bunch of muscle on. He's he could tall. put muscle on now. But he's too tall, I think. 
I mean, is he too tall for a point guard? Like, he's just the best point guard. That's what they say, right? He basically plays power forward. Yeah. I, I think the Cavs are a glass cannon. Like, they're like a paper tiger. Like, you're getting Carmelo this year. It's going to be great. But that's not what we need. Imagine Child, that what this is I just not what want, we need. Just, I don't care. I just want him out. All right, so I'm done. I'm officially off the train. Here's the problem, right? The Cavs have, like, four really good players. And, I don't know, like, no guard depth and... They have, like, two retired players on pay- payroll. You can't even, like... Really? Yeah. So, Mo Williams signed on for the team and then just retired. Yeah. So, he actually is occupying a spot. They can't get rid of him. <laughs> like, I guess he, you get, he's stuck on the roster now right. and, like, refuses to play. if J.R. Smith play. plays without a shirt, you get an extra roster spot if he doesn't know. wear a shirt. I think... You know, JR's making more in his current contract than he's made his entire career. Yeah. And you could tell by his shooting <laughs> that that's the case. Like, he held out for this ridiculous contract. But I was just like, I guess they have to pay him. And he can't. I, mean, I don't know. The, the JR that sung us through the playoffs last year is just not the dude who's like going 0 for 16 this year. Uh, I mean, and I don't know who hands it's a, a random 30 X year old shooting guard this contract anyway. I mean, you had to. We, we, we have like no roster flexibility yeah. because. We had the most expensive roster in the history of basketball. <laughs> so, and then you could tell, you could tell they're on the downswing because LeBron took a real contract instead of doing his one plus one contract <laughs> he's been doing every year. It's like, I will take a real multi-year contract and get paid a hundred million dollars and you will have to pay me at the end of it. He's like super what Tim Duncan should have done kind of contract. Because LeBron's like, a, might be his last contract, right? Or right. His, his last real contract, sure, you know? Sure. So, um, so, I mean, I don't know. I think they're likely to get out of the East, but... Right. I mean, they are just... They have no depth. I think they have, like, six playable NBA players. With Birdman going down... So, Birdman went down, and Mo Williams is literally just taking up a roster spot. They, they have two roster spots committed to players who can't play, and I don't, I don't know. He's, like, like a five foot six rookie point guard backup. Like, there's just... Shumpert is the backup point guard, kind of. I mean, Shumpert's playing well. I, I love Shumpert. <clears throat> I love Shumpert, too, but, like... This is, I just don't understand how this, like, I don't think that, like, Kyrie and Love have the actual intestinal fortitude to play 40-odd minutes a game for the entire playoffs, where, where, there's not where, enough players And, right like, now. overall NBA standings, where where are the Cavs right now in terms of record? Oh, they're for, like, high, like, third, third-ish. I mean, I think that if I had to just pick a team right now, they're for sure the most likely team to win the title. Like, I, here's something incredibly stupid. Okay? This is how spoiled you've gotten. No, no, no. I would have said the same thing with the Cavs last year. I, I, my theory is good. You'll understand why, okay? The current thing that ESPN has has Warriors 60% likely to win the title. Cavs 9% likely. Raptors 16% likely. Okay. Let's walk this back for a second. How in the hell do they have the Raptors 7% more likely than the Cavs? That doesn't make any sense. When the Cavs are 3-0 and against the Raptors right now say, the, and have a better record. Are the Cavs, are the Cavs 100% likely to beat the Raptors? No, they're not. By there. my math. <laughs> like, like, they have a better record. They're 3-0 and against the Raptors. None of the games have looked close. Okay, like, the Cavs have literally sat on the Raptors all three times. And the Cavs aren't even trying. They're right. literally resting players every yeah, couple. Yeah. And they're, like, third in the NBA, right? So here's the reason why I think they're... So, I'm not saying they're the best team, okay? I don't think they're the best team. I think they're, like, in the top five teams for sure. But I don't think they're the best team. I think they're a paper tiger, right? Last year, I didn't think they were the best team either. But going into the playoffs, you have to pick them as the most likely team to win because there's no certainty Golden State is going to win the West, right? I don't even think it's 60% likely they win the West. If they have, like, a 90% likelihood of winning their first-round matchup and, like, an 80% likelihood of winning their second-round matchup, which is going to be against the Clippers... 
the Rockets or the Spurs, okay, do you think they're 80% likely to beat any of those teams? Like, that's a pretty high level of certainty. Now, going into the final... And, no, and there's no matchups like that for the Cavs coming out of the East. Well, I'm just... Let's just only talk about the... Yeah, let's yeah. only talk about the Warriors for a second. In order to have a 60% likelihood of winning the title, they have to have a greater than 60% likelihood of winning the West, right? I think if I give them a 90% likelihood of beating whatever schlubs they play in the, in the first round, right? But do you think they have a 90% likelihood of, of beating their second-round opponent? If they have a 90%, 90%, 90% likelihood of winning their all three matchups they have in the West, that's barely over 60% at that point already, right? And there's no way they have a 90-90-90. Okay? They almost lost to Oklahoma City last year, right? Oklahoma City was the third best team in the West last year, at best. Maybe the fourth best team. It's only because of rampant injuries to the Clippers, right? But, like, the Clippers are a real team yeah, this yeah, year. Yeah. I think Golden State is substantially worse than they were last year. Despite the fact they have Kevin Durant, they are substantially worse. And, and, um, <clears throat> and the Spurs are secretly really good. So here's the problem. I actually would love it if the Cavs were second seed in the East, not first seed in the East. Because I think Atlanta might sneak into the top, uh, into the top eight. And I think the Cavs have a bad matchup against Atlanta. Like, they legitimately lost to Atlanta in a regular season game so far. And when that invincible Cavs team in 2009 and 2010, Rando lost to a vastly inferior uh, Orlando Magic team led by Dwight Howard. That's why we traded for Shaq. We needed a Dwight Howard stopper. Where do you think the Knicks are going to finish? I think the Knicks are going to finish middle of the second half. So somewhere in like maybe in the sixth range. That's where I have them at. That's right. I have them, I have them like five, six right now. <clears throat> yeah. So I would love it if the Cavs were second, right? Because if the Cavs are second, it literally makes one game difference in the entire playoffs. They'll, they'll have a home court advantage nine in one game at the end of the East. They're unlikely to win the overall for the, for the season because they're not trying, right? They're yeah. resting players every week. Yeah. Right? So literally one a game. It won't matter. So... Like they can, I mean, they're projected to win, like, you know, a high, high 50s or low 60s games right now. But I think if they just sneak in at 56 or whatever, let the Raptors take first, I would love it. And the Raptors can play against, against Atlanta. Beat Atlanta for sure. Atlanta doesn't even have a winning record right now. But I'm telling you, I, I don't like that matchup. That's, like, one of those matchups where one deck's really much better, but it has, like, a, it has a bad matchup over here. And Atlanta might not even make the playoffs, but I, I'd love to just skirt that. But think about it, right? Do you really think that Golden State is 90% likely to win, 90% likely to win, 90% likely to win? There's no way, especially considering the fact that both... 90 seems... 90, seems 90, 90, 90 is barely six, more than 60%, okay? It seems very high, too. And so if you... So then, like... Are you saying they have, like, a greater than 100% chance of winning the finals? Or they, they, <laughs> that's not how it works, okay? Certainly not how it worked last year. All right, so... Uh, so... Here's the problem. Golden State, despite how great they are, is insanely bad against any team with two playable bigs, right? And both the Clippers and San Antonio have more than two playable bigs. So Golden State is awesome. They have two awesome scorers and Draymond Green. I think that they, I think that with a real smart, you know what they should do? Trade Klay Thompson to any freaking New York Knicks that will be like, oh my God, Klay Thompson's the second best guard in the league. Sure, you, you say so? Whatever assets you can get for Klay Thompson, that, that's what they should do. Because the dude is an anchor around their neck. He's just like, takes so many shots. When they all go in, he makes it on Sports Center. <laughs> and when they don't, they're like, thank God we have Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. He does that in the playoffs against the Cavs. The Cavs are going to punish him, right? So, or against any of these teams. But they have no playable bigs. Literally none. Okay, they, who do they have? I think I think you see team. I mean, I think the way the way certainly the way basketball season's gone for the last couple of years, you're going to see teams at the at the trade deadline. You know, 
but they need multiple playable bigs. The Lakers beat them by 20. Running, because here's the thing, Luke Walton was the ex- My, my beloved Lakers? Okay, the Lakers, I can't I don't believe normally, I just, I I don't just normally, randomly I don't norm- taking the Lakers there. I, I don't normally love the Lakers. Are we going to talk about our secret drunken but we have, draft? We, have, we, did a, we did a drunken NBA draft. I'm currently in last. <laughs> With your first pick, Cavs. Because I got Dallas, and who could have predicted Dallas winning no games? <laughs> so I took Dallas like somewhere near the middle. I thought they were going to make the playoffs. So Dallas wins no games. Uh, and then uh, and then Steve is alive because he randomly took Charlotte. <laughs> it was like randomly third in the East. Uh, like with his last pick. And Julian didn't even remember that the Pacers existed. Right? It was his last <laughs> He sat there. No was, one did. Well, I knew the Pacers. I'm like, it's just the freaking Pacers, Julian. He's like, oh, I'll take the Pacers. Yeah, obviously take the Pacers here. But my third to last pick, Lakers, have been uh, been we, really good. A week ago, the Lakers could have made the, the play. I mean, maybe they'll just not. You know, I just need them to win more games than you know all the other last pick teams. <laughs> so I would have loved to have taken them there. Now, in hindsight, right? <laughs> but you know, Walton's their coach, and he used to be the assistant coach on on the Warriors, so he knew exactly how to beat them up, but they, he gave the entire league a template to beat them, right? So you just play two big, you play two bigs, they can't, they'll never get a rebound, right? That's one thing. They have like these amazing stretch wings and awesome shooters and, a, you know, two insane defenders and they cannot get a rebound and they, they, the team is not big enough to defend two bigs. You put two bigs in the paint, what do they get? What, what is Steph Curry's superpower at this point? To Mr. Fantastic up? <laughs> He's like, oh, I will now grow. Right? You can't. They're just gonna just gonna drop layups over their head. Like I could easily see Pau Gasol and uh, Lamarcus Aldridge in a layup queue against them. Well, how are they gonna stop that? They just don't have the size. And so, you know, that so they're gonna have to go deep into the playoffs and hope that Steph hits all of his threes again. And so, so you know how you would forego all Cleveland Browns mm. championships for your Cleveland Cavaliers championships? I would. I, on the other hand, would forego all New York Knicks championships for the continued run of Giant championships every few years. Really? Giant, the Giants are the New York Giants are the most successful team that I've ever rooted for. Right? Like I thought you they, loved, loved, loved the Knickerbockers. I love the Knicks, but like, like the odds of like the the joy I would get from a Knicks win would be unbelievable. But it's it's a it's years off. The Giants the Giants could give me my fifth Super Bowl win in my lifetime this year. And if they do it, it would involve 3-0-ing Dallas, which is awesome, and probably 3-0 the Patriots in their last three Super Bowl wins, because the Patriots are almost certainly going to be in the Super Bowl from the AFC. And then Eli Manning gets to go 3-0 against Tom Brady. I don't know any of the words you just I said. I know you don't. You know that, that I, I, I followed football religiously until I was like a, 12 years old, and then I unreligioned. Until, until your God stabbed you in the eye. <laughs> yeah, I asked for no field goal, they gave me no field goal, and the hands went up, and I was just like, end it all. <laughs> Burn it all down. <laughs> no more football, no more nothing. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. About this football. Okay. I, I believe you that yeah, all yeah, the yeah. things you said were I'm just heartfelt, meaningful. Yeah, yeah, giants. Championships. Yeah, I mean I realized that at some point in the last couple of years it's like they're the only team like the Mets have done okay. The Knicks have gotten to and the, the Mets finals. Have been close so many yeah, yeah, times. the Mets have been close. The Mets have won a World Series in my lifetime. That's awesome. Uh they've gotten to the World Series multiple times. What are they the Metropolitans? Is that what they are? Uh, they're just called the Mets. Oh, but the Knicks are the Knickerbockers. But the Mets are, are called the Mets. They're not actually called the Mets. They, there was a team called the Metropolitans, and that's what the Mets' name was derived from. But no, no one calls them the Metropolitans. 
I don't believe that that's... Uh, I like to say words like that, though. I know you do. I know you do. I like to be, like, a little... A little... You're like, I will have the Neapolitan ice cream, please. No strawberry. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> Nobody eats the strawberry. Nobody eats the strawberry. My dad ate the strawberry. My dad was, like, in he heaven. Was a he would just... He, no, he would just... He liked the strawberry. And He's then a there, would, there would just be slices of strawberry. <laughs> Sorry. Stacked up faster Brian. than you could possibly eat them. Thinking about his father eating strawberry ice cream, this is spat all over my face. All right, so that's sports. How about movies? You have not seen Rouge One yet. I have not you? seen Rouge One yet. I haven't. I've hardly seen any movies of late. Have you seen Doctor Strange? I haven't even seen Doctor Strange. What kind of person are you? I just. I was gonna rant about Doctor Strange. Now I would feel. Yeah, bad no, no, don't, don't rant about. It. I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna, basically my wife and I are gonna be off for like the next two weeks. We're gonna yeah. be off from like Christmas to like January seventh. And we're just going to see, like, 8 million movies. So, let's see. What about television? I know you've seen television. I have seen television. So, um, my shows of the year. Okay, let's do this. Shows my of the shows year. of the year. Quarry. I watched it all. It's great. No? I, I watched it all. Okay. I don't. I mean, I don't know if I would take it. I think it's... Like, I think that there's, like, a lot of aesthetic. So, so for step back for a second... Quarry is a Cinemax adaptation of a Max Allen Collins property, right? Right, yes. So Max Allen, Max Allen Collins is probably most famous to mainstream audiences for writing uh, The Road to Perdition. Oh, probably for writing the Dick Tracy comic strip for a million years. But, I mean, he actually created Road to Perdition. Sure, sure, sure. Which is one yeah. of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, which is one of... It, it, people don't know it's a comic book movie. It's actually maybe one of the greatest comic book movies ever. Yeah. In my opinion, it, it's so great. First of all, the cast is amazing. Do you have the graphic novel? Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, I just have an extra copy oh, of it well, at home. I, I own it. Give it to you. Uh, but the the reason is I think it's so great is that it's one of the rare instances where Tom Hanks plays a villain. Yeah. And he and I think that he has this he has this reputation for being a great actor, but he always just plays someone that you love. Yeah. And this is a rare case. Jimmy where Stewart, he, yeah. Where he plays a villain. And and it's a great movie. And yeah. it has like it just the cast is just yeah. great actor on great actor. And I heartily recommend it. But anyway, Corey well, yeah, Ma- is Max Allen Collins is like an Edgar Award winning <coughs> winning crime writer. He's created multiple ongoing uh, crime series. He's written Dick Tracy. Uh, one of the first things he wrote uh, was a series of books about a, an assassin called Quarry. And they were written sort of as an homage to the Parker books by Donald Westlake. Right? It was the idea of just like having this central anti-hero that is the... You know, recurring character in the so crime novels. You mentioned Parker. So Darwin Cook died this year, right? He did. Oh my gosh. He did. Yeah, it's terrible. What a, what a, what a fucking tragedy. Such a talent. Yeah. But and Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon died? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually stunned. Yeah. I did not know this was Yeah, Steve... a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago. Steve Dillon died? I better check. Better I up. hope not. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm 99% certain. You can't check. This is the top eight. Magic I, I mean, that's important enough. I don't want to put this that out Steve there. Steve Dillon, the legendary illustrator of Preacher, right? And yeah, he died in October. Oh my God, how old was he? Uh, yes, fifty-four. My God. Yeah, born in sixty-two. Yeah. So Steve Dillon, legendary illustrator of Preacher, yeah. but you actually told me this because I didn't know, right? He was like a warrior illustrator. With uh, Alan, Alan Moore, Moore, like yeah. in the mid '80s. Yeah, Axel Press didn't he do the? No, no, he didn't do the Axel Press. I mean, he did. He did the, like the apocryphal uh, uh, Miracle Man and Marvel Man. I yeah, guess yeah, in yeah, 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 issue, yeah. Which no, it's in, we never saw print in America until 
I mean, I had a stolen copy, right? <laughs> but no, it's all print now. Cause I actually, yeah. just randomly, I I actually bought all of the the Marvel reissues. Yeah. Um, and I just read them yeah, on my iPad. He's, he's great. He's I, just like, I own all the originals. He's like he's like he's just completely workmanlike comic book artist. Right? He's just like a, a storyteller. So even, so like, just consistent, so yeah. even, and creates oh creates characters that you just utterly believe in and recognize. Drew and, every single issue of Preacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a just a, yeah. Just a. It's been a bad year all around, but. Uh, but okay. anyway, so we're talking about Max Allen Collins. We're, no, we're talking about Quarry. Oh, we're talking about Quarry. So Quarry yeah. takes place in the 1970s. Uh, the character who will be named Quarry later, right? That's not his, yeah. his name. Is, is a Vietnam veteran who comes comes back, has nothing to do, and he's kind of falling into crime, right? Yeah. And the first season is kind of his descent into, yeah. into this Yeah, into, into like this becoming world. a paid assassin. Yeah, but he's not one yet, really, no, right? He's no. just like kind of fumbling into The guy into who plays jobs. him is so good. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was great. I know Becker didn't like him either. I love. I don't. It's not that great. I dislike him. I, I don't know. Maybe I just. Maybe I'm just like too incisive on how I look at things. Like he doesn't look very tough to me. Maybe it's because like the '70s stash. I, but I think that was kind of real. Kinda the, I think that was kind of the idea. His wife is quite beautiful, but in an unconventional way for 2016. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I liked it. I, I I wouldn't call it great. It was my favorite show of the year. Really? Yeah, it was my favorite show of the year. You know that there was a show called Game of Thrones that came out this. My favorite show of the year. You liked it also better than Westworld. How great did Westworld unfold? Uh, Westworld's my number two. I mean, the unfolding of Westworld going yeah. into the last last two episodes was as good as I think I've ever seen a first season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, I've <laughs> seen talking a about lot like of people. Lost season one. I've level. seen a lot of people who are just like, please don't even make season two. Just let it end like that. They're like, that is a perfectly season one is a perfectly happy like package to end on. I like. I really want to do Beyond Westworld recaps, by the way, for so our do website. it. I will. I got a lot of movies to catch up on. Though. Just why don't you do this instead? <laughs> so why don't you do half? I'll do half. <laughs> so Beyond Westworld was a, I think only seven or eight episodes ever aired. It was a 1981 Westworld TV show. So, so for those who don't know, Westworld was actually. A mo- was it a made-for-TV movie or a no, movie? No, it was a movie. It was, it was a, a movie. It was a movie. Huge, yeah. It was Michael Crichton's first big thing, right? Yeah. He had written a number of books under pseudonyms while he was studying at Harvard. Yeah. So Michael Crichton's first big thing or Yale, or was about a dis- was about um, an amusement park, a science fiction amusement park that goes wrong, right? Right. No. There's actually so in the final episode of Westworld of season one, Dolores actually throws back to Jurassic Park. She talks about how humans are these dinosaurs yeah. wandering around, fragments of them caught in amber. And it's like, that's totally just a nod well, to Jurassic because Park. Because people right? say that then Crichton took the things that he learned from Westworld and then made Jurassic yeah. Park. Yeah, later, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm just saying, like, the writers, like, nodded towards Jurassic yeah. Park in the, in the final episode. I missed episode. that. I mean, I saw the episode, but I missed yeah, that reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so Michael Crichton, and they made, he made a movie, Yul Br- uh, Brenner. Brenner plays the man in black. Pl- plays the man in black, who's this, just this, this like, host who goes bad. He gets tired of getting shot all the time. Like, you know, <laughs> basically, the first half of the movie is just him getting shot like repeatedly. Yep. And then he gets pissed. They have like off. sex robots still. Eh, yeah. Fish. Yeah. 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 They had they had sex robots. Uh, and he just gets sick of it, and he just goes on a murder rampage, and he goes through like the movie. By the way, shows you medieval world. Yeah. In the movie. But in the last episode of of Westworld, we see some of the other potential yeah, worlds. worlds. But yeah. there's like three or four other worlds, and then there's a sequel to Westworld called Future World. Yeah. Uh, which is like Westworld in space. It's like this space thing. It's really bad. 
Uh, and then they did a series called Beyond Westworld. And the premise of Beyond Westworld is essentially imagine if Ford built all his machines yeah. and then stole 200 of them and built a secret spy organization in the real world with them. Well, that seems like a great... <laughs> I, I kind of hate, like... <laughs> You know, it's like the first episode, there's like, there's a host on a submarine. Who is it? Like every time I read like a Shield comic, I'm like a little disillusioned because somebody gets shot. And I'm like, ah, I was just a life model decoy anyway. Yeah. Right? Don't you hate that? Yeah. About yeah. Every Shield comic. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it makes it hard for you to like love the characters. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Westworld is your only your number two. Westworld's my number. I lo- I loved. So Qu- Quarry just like, Quarry just like hit all these different vectors for me. Yeah. Like just musically. Uh, the act, I thought the actors were great. It was like this, like so. Two shows that I really love, but I think are both tremendously flawed. Yeah. Are Banshee. I was going to ask you that. Also ended this year. Which which I I I love, but is not a very substantial show. And then Rectify on Sunday's Channel, which is this incredibly substantial show. Yeah. Like incredibly emotionally deep show that stinks. Just, just kind of stinks. Yeah. It just doesn't <laughs> go anywhere. So, uh, Quarry is by the writers from Rectify and yeah. the director of Banshee. Oh wow! So, which is so it's like it's got it's like pretty like emotionally resonant, and people still kick ass on it. So it's like that, the it's like the Cobblade Twin deck. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the characters the characters on it are really weird and interesting to me, and like, you know, the first episode revolves around an Otis Redding track. Like an Otis Redding album. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's just like... Oh, I can totally see what he does. Nothing. That makes so much <laughs> sense to me. And it's, so, it's just like so perfect. Like, I just... I hope... But here's the thing. I don't know if it's going to get renewed. Like, I'm looking at the numbers. Do you know how many people watch that show? Me under 200,000 people. Like, in the United States, <coughs> under 200,000 people watch an episode, any episode of Quarry, which is crazy to me. Is that, that very like, low? That's super low. I mean, Even for a cable show? I'm just saying it's like super segment. I mean, I guess nobody watches stuff when it's on anymore. Like that doesn't count. This is like, what I kind of don't get. Like, I could make a YouTube video, right? And it could hit, and it will have more <laughs> more viewers than that. Or like, that's that's a very possible thing. You yeah, know? it happens all the time. Somebody has like a song that well, they, they they should put Quarry on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, so, like, is it really a question about how much do you want to put into production value on some of these yeah. things? When if you when you're really just thinking about the translation of content creation to either advertising dollars or subscription dollars, that's really kind of what the yeah. what the balance is, right? But I think maybe it's so, like justified, right? That can't have been a very popular show, but you, you know. My favorite TV show of all time. Yeah, you love it, love it, love it. I'm saying, yeah. like, or think about like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. I can't imagine anybody watches that show, right? It's 11 seasons strong, and every time I get a chance to watch it, I don't go out of my way to watch yeah, it. Yeah. I love it, no yeah, matter yeah, what, yeah, yeah. every single time. It's, it's got to be off the air now, because that. No. Really? That girl's got her own a new show. So? Oh, okay. I don't think it's off the air. Oh, okay. But they even moved the network. They put it to like. So it was on FX, not on Fox. So it's on FX Junior. <laughs> I do not. I think that it's. I think it's. It's renewed. It's new FXXX. It only shows Triple X, starring Vin Diesel or Ice Cube. <laughs> um. So let's see. So Couriers is your number two. Yeah. I'm trying to think. What, what shows did I like the best this year? Uh, my my number three is Narcos. I didn't see that. Narcos one. season two is so good. It's so. Unbelievably good. Yeah. Um, the acting is just amazing. Like you're watching people act in another language, and it just doesn't matter. I think I like Better Call Saul. I, you know, I'm still, I'm still a season. I still haven't watched season two of Better Call. You Saul. You are so lucky. You could just sit there and. I'm watch going it all. to sit there and watch it all. 
I just, I just, uh, I just watched like basically what, like during like my my draft TV, like you have TV on while you're drafting or playing Magic Online. Yeah. Uh, rewatched all of the Shield. How did you do that? Because it's oh, never mind. <laughs> I was watching most of the Shield, and, I had them, it, and then I, it stopped being on Amazon before I finished the last someone, season, uh, which someone, is really annoying. I yeah. was like, like so, three episodes in from like Glenn Close getting fired or yeah. something, and then like or I guess there's a season after that. There's but, a couple seasons after that. I, that was like in the second last. There's season. like no, there's like two seasons of Forrest Whitaker after Glenn Close. Okay, so I have none of those seasons. Like, <laughs> and then there's like two more seasons after Forrest Whitaker. Really? Yeah, there's seven seasons. Really? Yeah. And it's all good. Uh, yeah, well, so it's really dramatically less good after Glenn Close. Yes, yeah, obviously. Like, what's really interesting is as Kurt Sutter becomes more and more the um, head of the show, like he gets yeah. up, he goes from like you know lead story writer to executive producer. And eventually, he's just like doing the show. Yeah, it just becomes more and more like Sons of Anarchy. Well, Sons of Anarchy is just a direct sequel, right? Yeah, it's just like it's just like all these like crazy, uh, over the top, like machinations and like. You know, tribal wars. You know what and, show wasn't good? What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Bastard <laughs> Executioner. Yeah, no. Very bad. But, but you can see, like, when they, like, sometimes they just do a rumble. Like, oh, this is just, like, Sons yeah. of Anarchy in Scotland or yeah. whatever. But, yeah, I'd never watched I'd never watched The Shield all the way through. So I just had to watch. I was just like, let me get it out of the way. But it's obviously, st- I need to watch Better Call Saul. Because Better Call Saul Season 1 was one of my favorites. But you are just so lucky you get to watch that. But do you think Legion is going to be good? So Legion is, I, I'm, like, a little wary because it's by... It's by uh, the guy who does Fargo. Fargo's one of the finest no, shows on Noah television. Holly. And it's about the X-Men. I didn't know I didn't know Noah Hawley was doing it. Yeah. So that that changes my He is everything on it. He's yeah, like well, Far- the, Fargo's my number 3. Yeah. So Fargo's Far- my number 3 this year. Fargo's an unbelievably great show. Yeah. And the second season was so different from the first season. <laughs> second season. I love people hated people got so mad at the second season. How? It's unbelievably good. Like all the UFO stuff just like really upset people. Yeah. Like there were people who were like I'm just <clears throat> locked in. I'm like totally and then they're like all of a sudden there's just this like completely like random David Lynch level surreal moment but in you the know show. I mean Catherine and I talked about this you know she was recapping the show and like you, you don't have to buy into that you know what exactly. I mean like no, it's I not agree. necessary I, agree. For the, I thought it was perfect and we were like arguing about you know like I'm like are you sure and she's just like yeah and you know but also, also the thing is that the show the show also like Quarry was set in the 70s uh, See, I like that show so much more than Quarry. Not that I don't like Quarry, you know. I just—it's just not my number one. It may be recency for me, but it's—I mean—they're all really close. Um, but like UFOs were such a part of the zeitgeist. Are they? They were—they were like everywhere. It was like insane. You could like as a kid, like oh, in the seventies. In the seventies, like UFOs, like there was there were like that's like Close Encounters and stuff yeah Close Encounters there were all these paperbacks about UFOs that just were like at the drugstore it was like on the like it was on the people would talk about it on the are news are there any playable network TV shows just reality uh let's see I mean I still watch Blackish and Modern Family I don't watch like, either I don't watch any network <clears throat> sitcom stuff uh my wife you watch and CW I, though right I watch I do watch the CW five shows, shows on the CW I watch all the superhero shows Okay, I don't really watch Supergirl. I like only watch some Supergirl. Supergirl is probably the second one. best. Who do you think is the best one? Flash. Of, of the CW shows, it's like Flash, Supergirl, Arrow. Now, Arrow's back this year. He's back to killing. Uh, Arrow's terrible. I'm done. I'm really, I'm like on the verge of, of, of giving up on Arrow. How? It's not that bad. I, it's the one I look forward to I'm the most. I'm just so tired of like, it's like, oh no, this, no, seriously. It's not a, he doesn't have a dark archer opposing him this year. It's a dark shuriken thrower. 
It's okay. I I just I can't. It's just somebody throws a dark shuriken at you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a dark shuriken. It's a dark shuriken thrower. Okay. Well, we don't have to bring race into this. <laughs> it wasn't. The uh, worst is Legends of Tomorrow by far. Yes. I watch it every week, like Same. clockwork. Same. Um, oh my um, god. The my stupid favorite... the Commander Shield guy is so lame. I want to punch him, yeah. but he might turn to steel yeah. and break my hand. My, uh, my my favorite of the show still is Gotham. I think Gotham is just terrific. <laughs> it's like the best... But are they going to have to make him Batman soon? Eventually he ends... They said the last scene of the last episode will be him becoming Batman. He's still... He's still like. But he's a child. He's still a teenager. But he has, doesn't he have to go through his eclectic education? That takes like five years. Well, I got like well, not me, going to college and instead learning how to escape. First of all, let me tell you something. This kid <clears throat> is the best actor to ever play Bruce Wayne, by a wide margin. He's the best Bruce Wayne. <laughs> it's not even close. So it's it's, it's so the funny best when, portrait of Bruce when, Wayne. When uh, was it Batman Forever? Is that the third Batman, the one with uh, Val Kilmer? And and, uh, and the the chick from uh, Banshee. Yeah. His, you know, the the badass. Uh, the mom. The mom. Hot mama. She's uh, she's gonna play Catwoman's mother now on the second half of. Why does Catwoman need a mother? I thought she was like a homeless kid. Well, her mother showed up at the last episode of uh, the season before the break. Yeah. And she kicks ass. I think she's awesome. So. So do you know the comic so. book Chew? Yes. So Chew ended this year. I just read it the, through the I last issue it. today. Isn't that Wang OS, by the way, in a comic book article, the top eight best comics of 2016 I don't know. I that was... are not called The Vision? Because uh, he was like, I don't want to do a list. I want to do a list, but like The Vision's just the best comic, and it's the best comic on everybody's list. So I, so I don't want to say, so I'm like, just do the top eight. I read the after IO9 the list that came out this week. It was like top 20 comics of 2016. Of course, they had Vision rated number one. Yeah, everyone does. I don't. I'm going to go buy it, actually. I still haven't read it. Both of my kids like it number one, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Right? Because, like, it's really strange for, like, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. Like, I'm not saying that they don't have a discerning taste or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. But they mostly watch pranks and bottle flipping on YouTube, right? <laughs> so this is this is a bit of a, of a you know, a left-turn departure for them to like this best. They're like, but they both unequivocally <laughs> like Vision the best of all the comics we right. read. But I don't have it number one okay. personally. Um, I've only read one. I've only read Saga this year, so like that's all I have. I've Saga in my top eight. Uh, I think the. I think. Default number one, therefore. But my I have a two-way tie for first. I think I could probably like be nudged into one direction, but I have a two-way tie for first between the Amazing Spider-Man and uh, the Wicked and the Divine. Um, and I think they're like the Wicked and the, the Divine. Spider Man dance slot? Yep. Dance slot and Giuseppe Camoncoli. It's actually just so wonderful. And dance. So, uh, in Do the, you follow Dan on Twitter? No. It's so funny. Like, he has just been engaged in, like, this just, like, trench warfare. Yeah. And you would think it might be because he's an avid opponent of Donald Trump. Yeah. But it's not just that. Yeah. It's because he said. Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman are two of the worst movies he's ever seen. Yeah. And he's got he can't block people fast enough on yeah. Twitter. Like people are creating fake accounts or multiple just accounts attack. just to refollow him and attack him over this. Like people are just like lo- so, like rapidly defending those movies. So Dan Slott is such a great comic book writer. 
So I'm just going back and reading all of his other comics he's written. Like I'm just, I'm also simultaneously rereading. Remember the She-Hulk with Juan Bobello from like 2005? So good. Yeah. I'm just rereading that now. Which yeah, I, yeah. I already own all the hard copies, right? I think like, I just think he's just so good. But this is the reason why I love uh, Amazing Spider-Man right now. So his Amazing Spider-Man just reimagines Peter Parker as basically a, a do-gooder version of Tony Stark. So it, Dan Slott made a good point, which is like Peter Parker as a high school student, right? Right. Developed the web shooters, developed the web formula, right? Like developed all these amazing things with almost no resources. Yeah. To the point that he's like going toe-to-toe with the Fantastic Four at age 16, right? But never does anything with his life beyond being like a barely employed photojournalist. Like it doesn't make any sense. Right. Right? Like, so he's just like so basically like in the you know previous incarnation of Amazing Spider-Man before Superior Spider-Man, he just he gets a good job and then during Superior Spider-Man, you know, he um when Otto Octavius has his body, they build the company, right? So he has this company called Parker Industries, and it's like it's chief rival is Stark Industries, right? right? So <clears throat> so the reason that I love it so much is, first of all, my kids love it also because they basically Spider-Man is just Batman, right? So he's like <laughs> Spider-Mobile, like he has like, he's like, actually, he, it's not just Batman, he's Batman Incorporated. He has like all these other people who are employed as Spider-Man so that he can like have Spider-Man there while he's like being Peter Parker, like being like a CEO and like, you know, somebody needs to go spider and, and like save the day. So he just has other people dress as Spider-Man and do it. It's like a it's, it's great aesthetic, right? But the thing that's so great about it is, because his chief rival is Tony Stark, Tony Stark is constantly in the comic, and Dan Slott isn't even writing Iron Man, Brian Michael Bendis is writing that, but his Tony Stark is amazing. He's just like Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark to the nth level. So like, here's an example. Tony Stark hires Mary Jane Watson to be his, <laughs> to be his personal assistant, <laughs> and, um, and he's just like, Peter, I'd like you to meet my assistant, Mary Jane Watson. <laughs> and he's just like, uh, Tony. <laughs> I might, you know, know Mary Jane, know from that time when we all used to live together at Avengers Tower. <laughs> he's just like, I meet a lot of people. And he just like walks off. He's just like so like this over the top bombastic narcissist, but like so funny, like how, like how he's, you know, capable and narcissistic and befuddled at the same time. Yeah. He's just like uh, unbelievable Tony Stark who's constantly in, in his comic book. That's one, and the Wicked of the Divine. Do you know anything about no, that? No, I don't it, know. It's so, the first time I've ever even hearing. So, do you know anything about uh, the work of Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey together? Sure. So they did Young Avengers for yeah. Marvel, which is one of their more notable things. But they did this book called Phonogram, uh, three different editions of it for Image, which is about like very. That's a like Grant Morrison kind of like what if magic were real? Look at you know, you know, doing rituals and stuff kind of thing but all the all the magicians in their universe are into music and so like you know they can harness the power of like 80s aha or madonna versus like you know sounds like, like, sounds like someone was aiming for a movie deal it's great <laughs> i mean it's in my opinion it's great yeah. okay but so they just like riff off of this thing we're like oh we're making this kind of what if magic is real in in the in the real world kind of thing so the Wicked and the Divine is about these gods who are reborn among humanity every 90 years, and then they, like, have these amazing lives for two years, and then they die, right? So you could just be, like, you're Brian David Marshall, you're walking down the street, and then you're struck by divinity, and now you have, like, two years to create creative renaissance on the world and affect many people, but then you'll die in a fireball of, like, 
you know, either you'll be murdered or you'll burn out or whatever. And like all the gods know this is like their their destiny. So they like live large. So like it's like if you and they have like superhero battles with each other and stuff, right? But like if you really had superhumans, how would they act? Like they wouldn't just like go make superhero teams, right? Like they would build themselves up to have harems and, and stuff like this and you know, or like have cult followings and be like, look, I'm a god, I should have worshippers, you know? And um, it's amazing. I, I, I just, I think it's my favorite. It's, it's so, so different and so interestingly crafted, you know? You know, if you have like Bast as the god that you are, like you would be feral, you know? You'd act like a cat, you know? That's kind of the, you know, it's very different from, yeah. you know. And it's a new, it's a new comic this It's year. an ongoing, no, no, it's, it's been going. I just, okay. my favorite comic of this, okay. that's, Currently, currently. the strand. I'll go check that out. It's super great, in my opinion. That's those are the two-way tie for my favorite comic. I guess I'd have the vision. Is it like pandering to have the vision third? I don't even. I don't know if I like it that much. Like, you know what? I love the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. I love Miss Marvel. Um, there's, you know, I don't think there's very many DC comics near the top of my list right now. No. Thinking. Like what are the DC comics that people are excited about? They're excited about Harley Batman. Quinn. They're excited about Batman. They're like all this. The Rebirth stuff sells really well. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's that single issue that presupposes that Watchmen is the reason that the DC universe is the way that it is. Right. Yeah. 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 So. But, but, but DC's just not done a really good job of like getting people talking about their mythology. Like Marvel does such a good job of like rebooting characters and like just like getting people excited about changes to them like if you look at like the comics and marvels right this second currently currently you have you know jeremy lynn talking about the incredible hulk you know totally I mean? awesome hulk the totally awesome hulk. Not the incredible yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah okay. right. so Sorry. so but you have like there's an actually an ongoing howard the duck comic that they are supporting you know and it has a great creative team, yeah. right? And there's like, can you imagine like anybody else putting out the unbeatable Squirrel Girl and having the kind of fanfare that it has around it, right? Like, right. they're just their creative direction is so elegant, you know. And it's weird to me. Yeah, like, DC seems hunkered down and just trying to like sort of split the same well, they're audience. Like really and, good at putting superstar creative teams against Batman, right? Yeah, and rotating creative teams that are just not going to be as good on Wonder Woman as some of the what's, ones from the past. Jim Lee, someone, I just saw pencils for like some new Jim Lee comic. I don't know. What's he working on right now? I have no idea. It was gorgeous. It's still gorgeous. They still got Jim Lee. Like, yeah. I mean, they just go to the well, right? They're like, <laughs> all right, let's sell out something. Um, I think probably a Batman comic, yeah. I would guess, yeah. you know. But they, they just put like so many multiple great creative teams on Batman. And then like, I could just care less about most of the, the other stuff they have like and it's weird because I love the ju- actually that's not fair I like the Justice League yeah. for a while but why do you have Brian Hitch writing the Justice League and not drawing the Justice League because that's how you get Brian Hitch to- oh is he not drawing no, it no he's not drawing it <laughs> so you just have like Hitch wannabes drawing it and like Hitch writing it like I didn't even try it I mean am I supposed to pretend Hitch is a great writer instead of a great artist like I I don't know. Maybe he's a great writer. Yeah. Like, I think DC does a good job actually of like letting their talented writers, I'm sorry, to talented artists write things, and then hope they work out. Yeah. Like, like Francis Manipal writes. Well, writes you could things. do. So, I mean, you know, so the DC philosophy has always been that 
the stories they were always very editor editor driven. Yeah. In terms of storylines, like the Superman office, yeah. you know, really managed all of the storylines. So, you know, you could be writing Superman, but you weren't really telling the story of Superman. You were sort of telling that chapter of Superman that someone else had predetermined for you. So like there there have been stories in like not that long ago, right? In the relatively recent past, right? When said what I would have said like, oh, well All Star Superman by Grant Morrison is clearly the best comic of the year. Right. right. But they haven't had that in years. I don't even know what Grant Morrison's doing actually right now. You know, the the kind of the big name UK writers are all just doing whatever they want right sure. now. Yeah. So I guess you know, I guess I like Midnighter, Grayson. I mean, if there's stuff that they're doing that's a little bit different with like high B level characters, but I mean, of, everyone's gonna like the Batman books. They put all star creative teams against them. And Batman's Batman, right? Which I guess is better than Batman was in the past where they just expected the Bat books to sell and they mostly stunk, you know? <laughs> but. You probably don't love Jim Apparel. We've talked about this. I mean, I, I, I've actually grown to appreciate Jim Aparo later. Yeah. I mean, but I, you know, the the, the worship that people put on Jim Aparo. Was he the artist on um, Death in a Family? He yeah. was, right? Yeah, he yeah. was. He was. I mean, he's, clear, he's clearly not the most, like, he, he was just a, he's just, to me, an artist I, like, so closely associate with Batman. But he's not, he's not nearly the best. Did you read the Detective Comics run while Batman was dead when it was the Batwoman story that, uh... No. That was drawn by J.H. Williams the third. No, but that's probably great. My God. Yeah, he's terrific. I'm just like making mental notes of like gifts that I'll give you in the future. <laughs> My God, this comic book. Like, it's draw- written by Greg Rocca. It's like the it's like the modern reintro- or reintroduction of Batwoman into like the yeah. the DC universe. Drawn by J.H. Williams the third. Batman's dead right now, yeah. so it doesn't matter. You know, like you know, Dick Grayson is pretending to be Batman in Gotham City. With uh, with Damian Wayne and he's just like, all right, I'm detective. I'm gonna just put a redheaded gay. <laughs> you know, I guess she wasn't even gay yet. You know, like, she's widely known to be gay now, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and have this like just rando backstory, a competing family to the Waynes, and just go crazy with it. And I don't even. It's just my God. This comic book is just. Unbelievable. I like, I like Greg Rucka a lot. He gets, I think he gets short sold on the list. There's like a list of people like who are like, I, I think of as his contemporaries. Yeah. Like, like Brian K. Vaughn and um, Ed Brubaker. I mean, I think Bru- Rucka's generally thought of better than Brubaker. Yeah. yeah but, I, but I feel like he doesn't get, and Bendis, right? Like, I just feel like he's of that like era of writer. And I, think I feel the, like he gets overlooked a the lot. The problem with Bendis, I hate to say problem with Bendis, right? Yeah. But like, it, you know, I knew Bendis when he was young, right? Before yeah. he was a big deal and he was yeah. a struggling artist, you know, we were, we were kids. But the problem with Bendis is like, I don't think he was ever cut out to be a superhero writer. Like he always wanted to write com- crime comics and draw. He was an artist. Like yeah. He was going to the Cleveland Institute but of Art. But that's why I lumped them all together because Ed Brubaker's the same But Bendis... Way. Just he's like Warren Ellis, like he just fell into writing superhero comics, and it's so obviously effortless for him. Like Bendis can write like five really good superhero comics every single month, and they're all good. Yeah. Like every single one of them is just like, wow, that's actually a pretty good comic, and nobody cares. That's the thing, right? Versus Brian came on, will draw. Well, I'm sorry, write like one comic a month, and you're like, 
Oh, oh my god. Saga is just the greatest thing ever. I mean, is Saga really so much better than Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. Probably. <laughs> but Bendis did five comics that were, they were all above 80th percentile. Sure. Right? Sure. That's not easy. He's imagining characters like Jessica Jones, legendary runs on Daredevil, right? He's just like, give me the entire Avengers. I will reimagine the Avengers around Luke Cage and Iron Fist, and he will make it work, right? Like, like I, like I wrote that piece on Fetchland. Luke Cage is literally my favorite Avenger, and he was never an Avenger. Oh, Bendis just made him an Avenger. I, actually, actually, I got it. Luke, Luke Cage is right up there, by the way. For TV I liked shows. it a lot. Yeah. It was so good. It was so. Um, it, it was so stylistically different than all the other Marvel shows. So, I like, think... Like, just, like, the, the, the fusion of, like, using real artists in the club every week, or every episode, not that it was every so, week, but... And also, just, like, I don't know I don't know how much <coughs> Spike Lee is, like, in your sort of canon of film... You know, your, your like, hierarchy of filmmakers. Well. Man, I... The first, like, three to five Spike Lee movies are, like, among my favorite movies yeah. ever. And like, I mean, I've seen them all. I just, yeah. I'm just not really that. Someone just was like, okay, we're gonna do a lot of stuff and do the right thing. Or we're gonna like <laughs> GG most... this and pay a lot of life total yeah. and see what what kind of Spike Lee we can get onto the battlefield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was he... like, there's there's a lot of like, just like the score, <laughs> like music, like the soundtrack is is obviously, you know, influenced by, um, you know, Gangstar and and, and, and you know and, and Wu Tang Clan and a lot of. Uh, but the score is like sounds like a classic Spike Lee score, like his dad's music so, or Winston Marsalis' music. So, like my next favorite Avenger, I'd probably say is Iron Fist, and for the same reasons, uh, you know, just Bendis like making like these street level Avengers, and so, and like he reimagines Iron Fist like with a much cooler costume, you know, like, and so I just kind of think it's, it's it's um, it's uh, the Tyrell kid. Is uh is uh playing playing Iron Fist, Marjorie's oh. brother. Oh really? Yeah, the weird. gay knight. Yeah. Weird, weird. So, you know, I, I'm just I'm wondering how this is going to turn out. That's weird. Yeah, I, that's never. He's a little too, um, slight <laughs> for me for Iron Fist. So there, here's the thing: what they're trying to do is like one of the things I thought they did a really good job on with with Luke Cage is differentiating how Luke fights versus how Daredevil fought. Sure. Right? So, the, you know, the, season one, that the hallway fight scene, him against all the Russians, is like, that's all anybody talks about. Sure, right? sure. I remember when the first time I saw it, I was just like, oh my God, this is television now. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it, it, I'd never seen anything yeah. like it, right? By the way, the Flash fight scenes this year <clears throat> have been great. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Which ones like, in particular? I mean, I've seen every episode, so... I, just, I, I, just like... Not... I mean, I, even even stuff that they did in the crossovers, just like they've just done a... Like, where, speed, where people are speed fighting. Like, where yeah. they, they've done a really That's nice... Like cheating. I know, but it looks good. So, I mean, like... What does he say in the opening credits every day? I'm I'm Barry Allen, the fastest man alive. But every episode... And it's just like... <laughs> Oliver makes a joke... Do you need me to kill another super speedster for you? And he's just like, no, that you mentioned. Like, everyone's faster than him. Wally's faster than him now. Is he? Yeah. Is Jesse faster than him? Like, everyone's freaking faster than him. He's like maybe like the fifth fastest man alive. Yeah. I mean, actually, I guess some of them, I don't know. Yeah, Zoom I dead. Like, so, anyway. But, like, they just did this amazing job of, like, how would a bulletproof man fight? Yeah. 
And then the way like they do the homage to like the 1970s looking Luke Cage with like yeah. the metal band on yeah, his yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. That was great. It, it was it was really it was really good. That that guy is terrific. Mike Cotter is just a terrific. From actor. from uh, the Good Wife. Yeah, from the Good Wife. Yeah. So oh, the Good Wife. Did you see the trailer? What trailer? For the Good Fight. No. The new Good Wife show. There's a new Good Wife show. Yeah, it's gonna be on CBS streaming. It's on their streaming thing, like the same thing that's gonna have Star Trek, and it's basically it's just the Good Wife without. Uh, without Julian Julianne Margulies. It's Christine Baranski's show with uh, all the lawyers that were there at the end of season one. Some new young lawyer joins the firm and really? it's called The we, Good Fight. We the own, we, we have um, CBS streaming because Catherine like has to have it for like watching every episode of Big Brother or whatever. So, <laughs> so yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's going to start in like February. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I just saw the trailer last night. It looks, it looks great. If you look at my Twitter feed, I have a link to it. Okay, cool. Uh, so, let's see, what else is there? I mean, The Good Wife was. I thought. I someone was like, "Oh, I thought the last season of The Good Wife was terrible." I thought it was really good. I was really it's happy. Certainly with, not terrible. I was. I, I mean, it's certainly not the best season, but it was. It's so hard, you know. Like, all right, I have a. This is going to seem like a weird tangent. Okay, yeah. just for a second. A weird tangent on the Top Eight yeah. Magic podcast. So talking about uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who was on the last season of The Good Wife, Megan, and is Negan on yeah. uh, Walking Dead. So, aka the, Bruce Wayne's dad. <laughs> right. So, aka the comedian. Continue. He, you know, good-looking guy. Yeah. Right. Obviously, but so he shaves in the last episode without spoiling or anything. The season finale, mid-season finale of Walking Dead, he shaves his beard. Yeah. And he looks just like Brad Garrett. <laughs> it's like it's like, dude, grow your beard. Back. So I'm gonna take like the next two weeks off. So Catherine and I, I think we're just gonna binge the walk. We've never watched the Walking Dead. Which is weird because I it's read super. It's super uneven in places. But I've read every issue of the yeah. comic, which is so weird, right? Like, like nobody. Like I think that's a really rare combination yeah, 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 yeah. for a, such a popular show. Yeah, yeah. Especially since I'm such a TV consumer. Yeah, yeah. So, but I've never watched it. I've watched yeah. maybe two episodes Lifetime. Yeah. So here's the, the, the highs are super high, and yeah. then the lows are just kind of like boring. So here's the thing. I'm going to build out a Fetchland Instagram, right? And we're going to do some cool stuff with Chris Lansdell that you and me and Chris were talking about for a while. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is make trailers for this for this episode of the podcast. Yeah. So we have to talk about magic for a few minutes <laughs> so that we can pretend. We made like two trailers, right? Okay. And it'll sound what? like yeah. it's all about magic. <laughs> and people will have the assurance that this, this stuff is going to be in the podcast because it's in the trailer. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was a All very right. Negan-ish delivery there, by the way. Look, man. Yeah, I'm just telling you. This this podcast is different from other <laughs> podcasts. We're honest with the audience. They're in Canada. Have you? <laughs> they have a law in Canada for no Fox News. Do you know why? Lying about the news is illegal in their country. Wonder why we don't have that in this country. But Canada. Anyway, so I'll ask you some questions. You want to year in review? Okay. You were at basically every premiere event that mattered, right? Super mattered. I mean, certainly every pro tour, <clears throat> yeah. the World Magic Cup, the World what, Championship. What do you think, what was your greatest moment of the year? <sighs> that is, it's probably, the, it's got to be the uh, the match between uh, Brian Brundu and, and, and Marcio. And Marcio the final, that, that match, that the second to last game, which was just like over an hour long, yeah. It was just unbelievable. And, like, watching Brian navigate that game and then talking to him afterwards because I, yeah. I sat down with him. We did, like, an extensive, like, did, like, a 15-minute or 10-minute interview with him afterwards uh, for the post-game show that we yeah. had done. 
And I was like, when did you, like, it's a long game. Like, at what point do you feel like the tide had turned in your favor? And he's like, about halfway through, he's like, I knew I would win. But it still like, took 30 but minutes. But it took 30 minutes to, like, sort of, imp- like, I, it was just amazing to me to sort of watch someone play with that level of certitude and to sort of navigate so that complicated from, a game. From my vantage point as somebody just watching it at home, it seemed like a lot of the games that I don't like playing, right, where you just slog down the board, right, where I have a bunch of stuff, <laughs> you have a bunch of stuff, nobody's attacking, right, yeah, you're yeah. just like... And then somebody drew, somebody drew tragic arrogance, and then but but the that idea, the game. but the idea but, like, was he knew, but Marcel had drawn tragic arrogance instead of him. Would his certitude have been accurate? I don't, I don't, I don't know, right? I don't. Like you would have gotten overrun instead of Marcio getting overrun. Is it, I mean, he, I guess maybe, he, maybe he. I don't remember what the details were of the okay, presence all, of tragic arrogance. All the games that were yeah, <laughs> slog, slog, slog. Judge Garrigan's attack you. The, the other, the other because game... They, their guys get so big, yeah, right? Yeah. So. The, other, the other game that was, was pretty spectacular, match was obviously pretty spectacular, is Carl Schumau versus Shani Right? You know, that's just like, again, a finals. You, like, just have these two titans of the game. Two people who just have, like, are, are super... Uh, people that you'll always talk about. When you look, when you look back at the game, you'll, they'll always be sort of like, oh, and of course, when Carlos Schumau won Worlds. And, you know, when I'm he... I'm so happy to see Carlos for Yeah. And then, you know, and Shoti Asoka, like, this just hero for, for people who love control. And, like, these two guys playing this, like, deck, this game's, like, every game felt like it could come down to decking. And yet they're just playing at this, like, super rapid I think Shada's deck had, my opinion, having played decks like this yeah. after the Pro Tour, yeah. Shadow's deck had massive deck advantage, right? So, I, I agree. So, Thing in the Ice is a real threat, even against, even against Ramau's deck, because... He actually doesn't have good interaction with it. It has a lot of toughness, right? So it's like a little costly for him to deal with it with like a harness lightning, for example. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of doesn't want to. And it and just the way his deck was configured at the Pro Tour, right? So yeah. Jeskai decks that came later have right. cards like Nahiri, which right. you know you could strategically just kill a flipping right, in the right, ice later right. and and still and still profit. But I think that I think that. Um, that Shadow Stack had a huge advantage. I thought that was interesting that you have two decks into the finals of that Pro Tour that are both um, Is It Plus colors, neither yeah. one playing Fever Visions. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, and it was weird both decks were unplayable after the Pro Tour, which is, <laughs> which is super weird, right? right? So you just have like all the also ran decks got better. Um, I guess Blue White was the best deck of the Pro Tour by it's record so, and was so the funny. best deck so, afterwards. So Justin Vizarro, who's someone who uh, has done some coverage and I know listens to the podcast about like a day before the pro tour yeah he sends me a message he's like do you know anyone who's looking for a deck and i'm like sort of i mean not really you know i, I just, you know and he's like my buddy's playing blue white flash he's been playing it online his winning percentage is like 85 percent yeah you know some, some that rid- was the winning percentage of the pro tour. some ridiculous number where you're Everyone just like was where you just where you just roll your eyes right you know it what i mean true. you roll your eyes you're like yeah okay justin yeah. You know, and he sends he sends me a list pretty close. But the thing is, <laughs> that deck is so intuitive. Right? The only question is, oh, do I just actually just play four Gideons at the Pro Tour, knowing that that one of the most popular cards is going to be Smuggler's Copter, knowing that people are going to play with with a Birder's Gear Hulk, right? Like, is this the thing that I want to do? Like, people weren't even sure if you could play Ishkana at the Pro Tour, yeah, yeah. right? Because because of the presence of Smuggler's Copter and, and Birder's Gear Hulk just completely outclasses Ishkana when, when you play these two cards together. Right, so the decks had to evolve really strangely yeah, yeah. in the post-Pro Tour standard yeah. environment. But 
Like, it's weird. Like, is this even a playable card? It, you know, as a question, the vehicle stacks didn't play it. Right. Going into the Pro Tour. It, it, they had it in their sideboard, right? That's where Ramau had it in his sideboard. <coughs> he has a stupid Dovin ban in his deck. Like, I mean, I, it's, Pro Tour decks are always weird. Yeah, yeah, play, yeah, Right? But, <clears throat> so, your number one moment is, uh, is Brian Braun doing it Worlds. Yeah, yeah, Followed so. by the, the Control Mirror. Followed by the Control Mirror. Probably somewhere in there is Oliver Chu winning Rookie of the Year. Just, like, someone just, like, going to the first Pro Tour and, like, just go, like, just, like, day, deep runs in day two and, like, their first four Gamers Pro helping Tours. gamers, Oliver, too. The gamers helping gamers, Oliver, too, yeah. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Owen just continuing to be a monster. Just, you know, just being one of the, like, on the list of best players of all time. Uh, somebody asked me, sorry, KYT actually asked me who my top five of all time was. I had Owen and then I reconsidered. Because uh, I don't have him in my top five. Well, he's, 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 he's certainly edging himself very, very firmly into the discussion. Like, I think he's top ten. Yeah. For sure. He, yeah. I had him in my top five. I had to think really hard, right? So, do you have like, LSV in your top five? I do. That's okay. why Owen's not in my top <laughs> okay, five. Okay, that's, that's okay. the... <laughs> so I had Owen and then, and then KYT's just like, weird, no LSV. And I'm like... Scratch that. I love you, Owen. Yeah. <laughs> LSV is, is my number five. I mean, actually, it's not fair. All five of them are really great. I actually, I think that LSV actually, if you consider total contributions to the game, which includes his writing, okay, his coverage, okay. all that, he actually has an argument for number one. So, so you if you go, consider yeah, total contributions. Yeah. So you go John, John Kai, Paulo. I have, this is mine. Yeah. No particular order. Yeah. Because I, I actually... After all the years that I spent, yeah. you know, but I, I, I'm actually try to be one of the first ones to say Kai Bude is arguably the greatest player of all time. Yeah. John is arguably the greatest player of all time. I don't think it's decisive in either one's yeah. case. Yeah. Kai is truly great. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I have Kai, John, Bob, Hat, and LSB are my top five. Uh, Paulo's close for me, but I think... Uh, I think just maybe my perspective is different because of the era that I came up sure. in. I have a different level of respect for Bob and Hat than I think that younger players do. I, I just think Bob doesn't have the body of work. It's not fair. I understand all the players that it's who, not fair. All the players who played in Bob's era would just, def I mean, I, I would just defer that it's and they're not just like, fair. he just doesn't have the body Bob's of work. Bob's the best one. Bob just doesn't have the but body of all work. All the guys who are in the top 10 are just step back and say, Bob's the best one. And he just didn't play as much as us later. I mean, you can't fault him for that. Bob has children. Which of the rest of them have children? I understand. That's he not... has a wife. Which of the rest yeah, of them have a wife? He, he, he owns businesses. I like He's understand. doing other things than playing Magic. It's not fair to say that he doesn't have the body of work. His body of work was pretty freaking great yes. for this band that he played in. And I think John puts this the best. He's like... Bob played with a level of certainty greater than Kai, greater than John himself. He played so great. He would make a play that was blanketly the worst possible play, and he convinced everyone watching that he had made the right play to the point that his Bob, opponent would scoop. Bob played, Bob he did played it the over game, and Bob over again. Bob played the game differently than everybody else and played the mental aspect of the game better than anybody in the history of the game. Anyone ever will. Because, anyway, yeah. Because now we have a, a players who are also you know in the moto culture people largely focus on technical play and less less on mental game yeah so which is not wrong right, right. but they, they they just don't have some of the edges that the earlier players had because they're all just about iterating things and then you're like oh mathematically i think this is right so right. they can still be fooled and stuff like that you'll yeah. see that sometimes but players like bob you know i think that if bob cared he would eat these players for lunch right but he's like showing up to Pro Tours to just give his teammates sponsorship <laughs> money and then leaving. 
Like he, he came to Milwaukee and he's just like, oh, Mike, here's here's your sponsorship for the last pro tour. And I don't think he even played, right? Like, <laughs> you know, that that's like, that's the the you know. I he, I, I I understand. I, I am. So would you agree with my four of my five and then remove Bob for Paulo? That's what you would do. So yes. you would have Ty, John, Hat, LSV, and Paulo. Yeah. Paulo, I have, I have, high, I just don't yeah. have him in my top five. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just a matter of like, you know, I'm. It's not who are the most feared players, or you know what I mean. It's not like this. Like, I mean, I think, I think your top five peak performance players is probably very different than top five all time. I mean, I think if you just want to talk about peak performance players, Kai has got to be number one and Tom Martell's really high, you know? Like, that's... But you're, nobody's going to call Tom... You know, we heart Tom, but nobody's going to call Tom one of the top five players of all sure, time. Sure, sure. But if you're only going to talk about peak performance, Tom might be number one. It's tough, right? Yeah. <coughs> yeah, no, I agree. But, uh, but, but I mean, it's, it, you're, you're, you're picking nits at that point. Like... You know, any, these are all, all these players are better than anyone listening, yes, right? Yes, so yes. they're Yes. I mean, yeah, with all, the exception of those who listen, right? So yeah. <laughs> Kai is listening to this, for example. He'll be like... He's not listening to He this. is. He is. All right, well, maybe when he sees the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> In a world. <laughs> he commented on the last Topic Magic podcast that you weren't even along. Oh. Multiple times. I'm pretty sure he's listening. Okay, okay. Because... <laughs> Osip loves to troll Kai. So, it's like his favorite thing. So, you know, Kai has to respond. Yeah. But, so he has to know what he's responding to. Yeah. So he was forced to listen to the podcast. But, you know, it, Kai is actually a Magic Podcast listener of certain Magic Podcasts. Yeah. Not of yeah. not of all Magic yeah. Podcasts, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, let's see. I mean, we have to have, like, another one. I'm going to have a second trailer, so. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Magic Player of the Year, Tim Ayton. <laughs> Tim Ayton is a poor choice for Magic Player of the Year. I guess he's a Magic Magic Player. Of the, so, so it depends on the inflection. <laughs> magic Player of the Year. Tim Ayton's a poor choice. Magic Player of the Year. Yeah. Tim Ayton's a great choice in the same sense that Dave Williams or Brock Parker yeah. are consistently great Magic Players of the yeah, Year, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but pick another one. <laughs> pick another one. Owen Turtle Turtle. Oh, Owen Turtle. Well, as the magic player of the year. I, uh, so, worst moment for me as a magic spectator, right? Yeah. Spectator, not as a, you know, you know, may the best man win. Yeah. Owen losing in the finals of that pro score. Oh. Destiny wanted Owen to win. And he, and by, he, by the way, by the way, I, I... And it looked like he had deck advantage. He, Lucas Blahan... Yeah, he's good. Huh? Is, like... He's talk, filthy, right? He's he's just, he's just great. It's like disgusting. He's like throwing stuff at you and you are just taking it in the face, right? <laughs> he's, that guy he's strikes just, me as really... He's great. And you're know, talking to some of like... like the, throwing, he throws a snowball full of rocks at yeah. you, right? And That's I, him, it's right? It's icy. He pours water over it first. Oh, I mean, just, I mean, I would... That guy... Ugh. He is uh, talk, talking to like Martin Yuzza. Yeah. He's like, he's like, Lucas was always great. And at some point he was just like... Oh wait! So people play test for this game. <laughs> they put. Oh wait! You could you could improve your results by by play, by play testing. Like obviously exaggerating, but like he just never like he took the game for granted. Yeah. And like also the amount of money you can win playing Magic is different than it once was. No, in well in in the Czech Republic. <laughs> So, is vastly different than the amount of money you can win winning a Pro Tour in the United States. Okay, so here's the thing about Lucas Blahan. 
right? Going into that top eight, I looked at his deck. I was just like, this deck has zero good matchups in this top eight. I don't feel like he lost in a game. What? He swept he, 0 3 0, right? He, he, I think he, yeah, I think he lost two and then won nine games in a row or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I just, it looked like such a bad matchup for his deck. Just like, I mean, I'm just, he's, he's, he's like, I, I think someone, someone that, you know, is, is very. I think you just top, top eight at a Grand Prix the next week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. With a completely different deck, like zero overlap cards. <laughs> so, uh, what's your, so here's the thing. This was actually a controversial thing on, on, um, on Twitter that actually made the mainstream media. So how, what do you think about standard, right? Oh, that's funny. Uh, you know, I mean, I think, I think standard is, is always, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing, right? Like I think, I think outrage culture sort no, of, no, I'm just asking what you yeah, think. I think standard is where it normally feels like it is to me before a new set comes out. There's some uh, decks, there's some decks that have just really just established themselves. Like, I don't know. I disagree. I thought just, that the, I'm just cube drafting, man. Yeah, I know. I'm just cube drafting. You're updating the world every five minutes. So I, I did. I did a draft this morning. Did you win that mono red one that you posted? The one with the ancestral recall in it? No, the one with the rate, the trying to burn your rage that I said you shouldn't have. Oh yeah, I three owed. I three owed that one very easily. How can you not just always draft red? That's the best. It's not I, fun compared not to the fun. other decks, right? Here's how it goes. I draft storm. Yeah. I literally don't win a match. Then you just rage and draft. And then I rage draft red. You know, or, a game. or white weenie. Also, white weenie also just three O's. Like, I had a, I had a multiple, like, white, blue tokens opposition decks. Do you know why red is better than white weenie or the green, white, anti-red decks? Because the feeling that you get when you beat the green, white, anti-red deck with, with, with mono red is... It's there's nothing else. You would in not magic. believe you would like. I should screenshot some of the board states that I win with at the end of oh, the game. Come on. These buffoons <laughs> with their like restoration angel flipping their kitchen finks or thrag tusk. They've got a core firewalker in play, and you just could just like put a little, a little like paint circle over their zero life total. <laughs> like I mean it. There's nothing like Sulfuric it. Vortex is really oh, just an There's unreal just card. It's hard the... for me to pick any card over Sulfuric Vortex. One of the things that you... So, so you... my draft today... So the draft today... <coughs> so from first pick to 3060 yeah. was 44 minutes. First of all, total. How? Well, it's league. Oh. League. So 44 minutes total. Yeah. Um, well, so it's it's cube league? Yeah. So you could oh. play like... You could play a mirror. Got you. Yeah. But so I first pick Ancestral over Mox Ruby. I'm like, I'm not necessarily... I'm obviously just want to draft Storm. That's tough. But I get past Fire Blast. So I'm like, all right, Mono Red with Ancestral. See, I don't, I don't take Fire Blast there. Uh, I feel like it's going to come back. You know, I've taken so many Thundermaw Hellkites 15th. Like, I, that's <laughs> well, just... Thundermaw Hellkite doesn't even always make the cut in my deck. So, um, here's the thing about drafting Mono Red and Cube. You posted, uh, you posted, uh, what's the pick here? Yeah. I just really wanted it to be Jackalpop. <laughs> I'm just like, Jackalpop is not even that good, but I didn't want any of the other cards. And everyone was like, oh, just take Sneak Attack. Uh, I was just like, oh, I guess. I guess, I think I would take Sneak Attack there so that other wasn't people Wasn't there also wouldn't... a mock something? No, in the I would pack? take any mock. Oh, no, there was no mock. No, it was every, a Sneak Attack, every... 13 unplayables, and, and, a, <laughs> and a Jackal. Or not unplayables, just like. Some kind of Glenelander. I don't People want. People love. I hate sneak. I hate sneak attack. I mean, I don't want to necessarily play against it. Yeah. I saw a deck posted that Sam Black posted this week, and it had so many like entomb kind of buried alive kind of cards and fatties and one reanimate. <laughs> I was just like, I, but he had a, he had a 
to his family. He had a demonic tutor and a and an imperial seal. Yeah. So I guess he could get the reanimate. Yeah. But like, I just look at this necklace over and over and over again, and there were like a lot of faithless looting <laughs> and buried alive, and I was just like, he's pretty all in on this one reanimate. <laughs> I don't know how he did. Um. But anyway. Yeah, I might be. I might be a, just like a bird player, and I didn't even know it. Like, I've won some unwinnable, like, some really unwinnable games. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I told you this when I, when I was really into dra- cube drafting. Red, that was, like, a couple of years ago. I was yeah. just like, was actually, is this tuning my limited skills or is tuning my skills as a burn player? I'm not sure. But I was just like, if I get to a certain level of rating, I said I try to get back on the card floor, right? And it turns out I'm I just I'm just a burn player at heart. <laughs> Uh, and you know, I feel really, really confident. So, do you do you stand by burn, even though the the RPTQ did not go well for you? Um, there are things that you can control and things that you can't control. I actually think that of the things that I could control, I've made very good decisions. Okay. And like, so, uh, please don't take any of this as being complaints. I'm just saying there are things you can control, sure. things you can't control. Sure. When I qualified, I lost one legitimate game of Magic, and I held, and I held. Um, first, almost ever, consistently throughout the entire yeah, tournament. Yeah. I don't believe I mulliganed once, right? Yeah, okay. I mulliganed one, one or more times every round at the RPTQ, okay? I won only one flip the entire day, and um, and I just didn't hit what I would consider to be uh, consider to be uh, predictable matchups for me, right? So I looked at the top eight. Any, eight. any heroes qualify? Any of our, any people that no. we like in there that... So I, in, I mean, I don't know if you think like Ben Friedman is a notable player. Oh yeah, right? I so, like Ben. I like Ben a lot. So I played against him. So there were, so for me, like first round, I played against Aaron Murnaka. I fly three thousand miles <laughs> to sleep, you know, in the same room with the guy. That's when I'm playing first round. We had a remarkable match, and I won, right? And then there were only two dredge players. I played yeah. one of them second round, and I lost the flip and yeah. Mulligan. Yeah, yeah. If I had just not lost the flip, I would have won, right? And that's that's tough for the dredge burn matchup, right? I thought my deck was perfectly tuned. There were two... So there's two different kind of... Two and a half kind of burn archetype in, in modern. There were two burn decks in... in uh, and the top eight of the one that, that I that I, I played in, yeah. they were both just descendants from the deck I qualified with. So if you look at, like, Roman Fusco winning uh, uh, a PPTQ or Miles Rodriguez making top eight, uh, top eight of the Invitational, yeah. those are just descended from my burn deck that I yeah, qualified yeah, yeah. with. Right? Versus the one that has, like, Wild in the Cattle. So, like, the, the decks that were in the top eight were just, I would say, like, a different configuration of... Of fetch lands, maybe, but it's basically my deck, right? Right, right? So the deck that I played is my deck, but with no with no green, and I I think it's fantastic. I can't wait to play modern <clears throat> again. Um, but anyway, like I said, uh, and so at one point I had only beaten Tony Ho and <laughs> and and uh, and uh, fetch lands brother, yeah, who flew out. You know, this is like funny story about him, but we talk about it some other time. Uh, so my deck has like an unlosable matchup against Jund. So if you think that like literally unlosable right like if you think that Jund is a popular deck which is one of the most popular decks in modern my deck's a great choice I think that I I personally have a minimum 75-25 matchup advantage against other burn decks probably greater edge than that right so played a lot of burn mirrors don't ever I mean my configuration is so great in the mirror right um, and I'm, I'm also a very facile uh, burn player in general and it's and by the time we were at the RPTQ my I felt almost invincible against against in fact even going second and so I never played Infect or Burn, which are super predictable matchups. I played Jun twice, I beat it twice. Uh, and I lost to, I mean, actually it's funny, I lost to a Zoo deck. Um, I mean, this is one of these matches where I mulliganed to five, stopped on one, and sure. I got my Deflecting Palm, Deflecting Palm. 
right? So if my defaulting palm had resolved, I would have won in two games, right? right, right so, right. Uh, but I mean, I, literally, I, st- I multiplied into five, stalled on one, and yeah. you don't come back from that very yeah. often against a deck that has, you know, <laughs> burning tree emissaries. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that's, you know, if you play that matchup a hundred times, I think I would probably have won it 85 times, right? But, you know, this was one of the ones I didn't win. Uh, I lost to Ben Friedman, uh, which in a, in a kind of a bad matchup, again, I, I didn't win the flip, I mulled, uh, and you know, it wasn't a good matchup. I can't, can't imagine, I can't claim that, that I was favored there. Um, you know, our RPTQ was weird, so Ben and two other players with Bantel Drazi all qualified. So, if I would made the break to top eight, you know, I I had a high likelihood of playing against Bantal Drazi, which is not a great matchup for okay. me. But also there were there were like two Jun decks, a Tron deck, and two and two uh and two other burn decks. I would have flattened all of them. Right. So, you know, that's a, a different thing. But you know, again, there were only two dredge decks in the entire in the entire tournament. I played one of them in round two at the the so, one over. So what's next for you as far as playing magic? Um uh I don't know. I because there's nothing to do right now, and I was just looking at, I was looking if there was like a Grand Prix I could try to spike to go to yeah. Dublin. You know, yeah. there's none, so yeah. <laughs> it's like I'd fly somewhere maybe, and I get some time off, and yeah. um, you know, so there's none, and uh, so I don't know. Like I, I not gonna go to Louisville to play Legacy. No, I think Legacy is like, I think Legacy is like a, the more frustrating version of Modern. Like I'd play Burn, yeah, and the, here's the thing about playing Burn in, in Legacy. I think I have like 65% great matchups and then like 25% completely unwinnable matchups. Like that's just, like I, I don't know. What am I supposed to do then? Like some players are like, they try, try to take the tackle. Like I'll just play a deck that has like a 45% likelihood to win any match. And then I'll just play a little bit better than them. Yeah. But the problem is there's so many decks that win on like the first two turns. You don't have the space to do that. Right? Like I, I was playing Delver variants for a while and I had the like, great mirror match uh, percentages. And like, but what's a great percentage? Like sixty-five percent. But you can't go 65 through. Sixty-five would be pretty insane, right? But you can't go through a tournament at sixty-five percent and hope to make day two. Yeah. Like that's not how it works, right? Sure. You have to like go in, and then just hope you get great matchups and <laughs> spike them all, right? And then like, or get lucky. Like, you know, you the, have your bad matchup get mana screwed the round that you're up against it. Right, right. None of those things are under your control sure, in, in sure. a format like Legacy. Like modern is, I think modern is way better than legacy because of that. I feel like I have so many things under my control. Have you uh, have you done any of the uh, looking into frontier? Has anyone so talked to you about frontier? Keep, I don't know what this is. People keep asking me my opinion. I don't know what frontier is. This is like old extended. Is it's, that... it's like a new non-rotating format that people. Yeah, but it's are not a real to... format, right? It's, it's not a real. Like it a, is not a. It is not a it's recognized like a, format. It's like a change.org format, right? <laughs> <laughs> like they asked Barack for oh, a man, petition. Is org legal? <laughs> Maybe in Frontier. Oh, can we build a deck called change.org? Winds of change, org, and what would the dot be? Volterra Baya. <laughs> <laughs> I expect a deck list. Winds of, winds of change. Change.org. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about this format. I won't have an educated, uh, educated uh, opinion. About but actually about standard, I would say. I actually don't like it. I yeah. don't like it at all. I thought that the format prior to this rotation was great. I loved playing that every single week. I was so happy to play in <laughs> tournaments, happy to play in FNMs. Like I felt like I understood everything that was going on. This format, I was, I was talking to um, like Matt Sprilling and Lan Ho one night, and I was just like, if I'm playing modern, right, and I'm playing my burn deck, I feel like I understand everything that's going on, which is like 
You're trying to kill me in four turns. I'm trying to kill you in four turns. Either you kill me in four turns, right. I kill you in four turns, or one of us stops the other one, right? Those are the rules of engagement, right? And Lan laughs. He's just like, you're talking to somebody who went 13 into a Grand Prix with Infect, <laughs> right? Like, that's how, you know... And the, these are the rules of engagement, right? And I, I feel like I can, if I'm playing against another burn player, I'm playing against Infect, I understand what's going on, I know what decisions to make. Even though the, the, the turns are constricted, my decisions are meaningful, okay? In standard, I feel like I could become an absolute master of blue-white. Like, I'm like the 99th percentile player of blue-white. I could beat anyone in terms of pure skill on blue-white, and I have maybe a 55% matchup <laughs> against them in the mirror match, right? That, that's the thing, right? If I'm making 99% correct decisions and I only have a 5% edge, right? That seems like, uh, how, I, how, I don't like that. How much of standard feels constrained to you by Aether or Marvel? I actually think it's more constrained by blue-white. Um, but but blue-white blue is there sort of because it matches up well against Marvel, right? Yeah, as Marvel, is, as Marvel is currently constructed, I think that's like kind of the reason. But... You have blue-white decks that are also performing well against green-black. Like, if you look at, like, the Grand Prix Finals, right? And I think, I get, maybe Aetherworks Marvel's really constricting me because I feel like red-black maybe should be more dominating than it is. And I think Marvel is the thing that's constricting red. Like, red-black's really powerful, and it's just somebody plays you're Marvel about, like, the, turn. You're talking about, like, the aggro red-black oh, I, I was thinking, like, the uh, Haunted Dead version. Oh, okay. But, like, somebody just go, like, third-turn Marvel, and they just... Scoop on turn three. You know, it's so funny. I remember we were at uh, we were at PAX, you know, at the World Magic Cup, uh, or the World Championship, I should say, and we got to preview a bunch of cards. Yeah. And, like, one of the cards we got to preview was Aetherwork Marvel. And we show it, and they're like, wow, what do you think of this card, B? And I'm like, well, aren't people just going to be, like, playing Emrakul out from under it? Like, how does this card not sacrifice? <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. How, how is, isn't this card just going to be, like, put it playing, like, it's cast? Aren't I just going to play Emrakul? And, like, you could start to see Ian Duke a little bit, like, go, <laughs> But, like, if the card's sacrificed when it happens, right, and then you even get energy or something, yeah, yeah. maybe it would make more sense. But, like, I've played these games where somebody activates their Marvel three times, <laughs> right, you know? Right, activates their Marvel and goes into, like, uh, Woodworker's Puzzle Knot. Like, like, oh, I just had a Puzzle Knot. Oh, well. And even if you have, like, a great <laughs> matchup, like, you're not going to beat someone who Marvels three times, right? Like, I've, like, won games, I guess, where someone, like, marveled, whiffed, and cast, like, um, cast, uh... You just uh, cast Puzzle Knot out. No, no, no. <laughs> cast Cathartic Reunion, and yeah. then I'm like, oh, sweet, counter your Cathartic Reunion, you have to discard cards or something. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. But, like, they still have a Marvel in play, <laughs> you know? Like, like, randomly, like, sacrifice an Evolving Wilds, and they're gonna get some energy, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, figure out a way yeah, to it's just a weird, it's, a, it's such a, like, it's such an obviously powerful card to me so the thing that i don't like is spell queller i think more than yeah. more than marvel uh i think like like spell queller and, and that's and that's what i was talking about when i was talking about marvel because i feel like marvel begat spell queller back into the yeah, format like, spell queller and reflector mage are clearly the two best creatures in standard yeah. and they're so far and above every other like reflector mage is a stupid magic the gathering card <laughs> Like, I guess, like, a, you know, a third toughness and, like, another line of text on Mana War makes it, like, unbelievable. But the fact that you can reflect your mage in Emrakul and then be like, I guess I win. I a, <laughs> I had, Good luck casting that, buddy. I had a, uh, <clears throat> a bad idea cube draft where the only good thing that came out of it was getting Splinter Twin on a reflector mage. <laughs> that sounds like a very good idea cube yeah. draft. <laughs> No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't win very much. I won that game. Yeah. I didn't win very much otherwise. So. But yeah, I, I just don't like. And then like, there's all the green black variants. Like, 
There's just green black that beats green black, and then green black that's bad against Marvel, and then green black that's good against blue white. Like, but they're all just green black. You know, like it's just I I don't like the format versus yeah. the previous format when there was like team merge, other team merge, ramp Emrakul, like other ramp decks and i thought like blue green crush was the best deck to play i felt yeah. so good playing blue green crush there was like red blue burn Cat pack. <laughs> i mean i never had the chance to play that deck but i'm sure i would have loved it <laughs> right but like that deck that i'm sorry that format was so interesting there's so many interesting things going there were so many infinite combo decks you could play like there was like infinite combo decks based on collected company, infinite combo decks based on gaining life. What, what have you seen out of the Aether Vault cards that they've sort of shown off so far that has you thinking it could mix things up for standard? Mix things up for well, the. I mean, the problem is like a lot of times the second set in a block plays into so the new counter spell is unbelievable. Okay. The one that's like cancel, but it can also cancel with abilities. Yeah. I cannot wait. The first time that I cast that, when somebody goes off with their Liliana, they have like all their counters on Liliana. They're like, take all the counters off to like make the zombies, and they're like, <laughs> can't wait to do that because that like that person's gonna be like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna beat this stupid blue player, and then you're just like, ding 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 ding, ding. <laughs> can't wait. That's going to be awesome. I think that card is going to be great. Uh, first of all, I think the card Void Shatter is horrible, and it's widely played. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because I like Dissipate, and Void Shatter is just like the Devoid Dissipate. But, like, Ceremonious Rejection is a thing, and also Prize Amalgam is a thing. The thing is, like, the decks that play Prize Amalgam can't even cast it. Yeah. So, like, the presence of Void Shatter makes no sense. Like, right. just play something else, you know, like... Scatter the Winds, I think, is a better card because if for no other reason it doesn't get ceremonious rejection. <laughs> right? So, you know, that's the that's kind of the, the, the thing. Um, I think as long as Marvel and Emrakul and Spell Queller are in the mix, it's going to be tough for decks to break out because the only way that you can break out in a format that has these constraints is to go faster. Right? right? So, Blue White's not good against other legitimate creature decks. So, because it's, it's guys cost three or more. So if you're just like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play like a legitimate creature. I mean, I'm talking about executive like generates in presence, right? Like if you've got like one, one creatures for one, sure, you're faster than blue white, but your guys can't even get past a two, three. So forget it. But can you get past a one, two? All right. So that's not necessarily the way to go. But it, right, yeah, right, I think right, like right. a recipe where things can only get faster. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem the best to me. I like it if, if, if there were ramp cards. Right now, I think the ramp cards would just strengthen Marvel. Right. So that's not... I don't know. <clears throat> I can't imagine... Like, what are the things that... Like, I think interesting standard formats involve typically combo decks that have mid-range, mid-range elements, like Blue-Green Crush or Splinter Twin, um, versus combo decks that are just fast. Like That's not nearly as interesting, in my opinion. Uh, and then decks that have more interplay with each other. I don't know. Maybe, like... I'm just trying to imagine, like, is there a world where, like, just a, a more mid-range black-green or jun deck? Like, the, 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 the problem is that just mid-range just gives you this opportunity to play Emer- you're, you're, You just get Emrakuld, and then all your, like, reactive cards yeah. react against you. Yeah, you're just over the top. <laughs> like, so... What, what, what's... I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that Emrakuld, the promised end, is the card of the year. What, what do you have a... Like, if, if you're going to just pick a card that's going to define 2016, <laughs> it is the promised end. I actually, I didn't have him as my one or two. Really? Yeah. 
Her, by the way. Her as my one or two. I would have had, I think, Archangel Avison. Interesting. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, look at the Pro Tour wins. Yeah. Okay. Archangel Avison won two of the three Pro Tours. Uh, the, both of the standard Pro Tours, right? Yeah. We've won the Green White and Green Black. I'm sorry, and Black White. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, I guess it didn't win. It didn't win uh, Shouters, but it was in the finals. Right. right? Okay. And then my backup is Thing in the Ice, uh, which did win Shouters. Sure. And uh, is a is a player in in modern now, right? Yeah. And I think like it's a player in multiple decks in modern. So those are, uh, and I but I think from a different dimension, Emrakul's a fine choice. <coughs> but it's not even the it's not even the Emrakul of choice in other formats. That's the reason right. why. Why I'm a little I'm a little hesitant on that. I like thing in the ice, but yeah, I I think I think Emrakul is just like this, this. When you look back at this year, it's gonna have this sort of necro feel to it. You're like, yeah. I, don't know, I remember he took my turn, and then yeah. I mean, like the green white and the black white decks prior to the prior to the to the rotation were very mid range. A lot of like mid rangey, like which is weird because green white was a pretty oppressive feeling deck from the other side of the table. I think. All right, d- different question. Yeah. What do you want for Christmas, magic wise? Like, what what do you what do you want? Like, what's the what's the card you feel like you need? right now to make standard interesting for for you price of progress <laughs> i think price of progress probably ruined modern actually you know, yeah if they came okay. i mean it's just annihilate the entire yeah, format yeah, right? yeah, yeah. um that's my answer <laughs> you want something that punishes people for playing non-basic lands in standard i think we i mean we already have one but people don't play it as much uh, which is which is um Othalia. I think I would like something that would make mid-range decks faster that wouldn't disproportionately help Marvel. That's actually... It's weird. Like, anything I can think Some of... Some non-Emrakul ramp spell? Like, anything that helps the mid-range decks, Marvel's just going to jam that card. You know, like... Imagine you had a Llanowar Elf, right? Or a Bird yeah, of Paradise. Yeah. Like, yeah, you yeah. just go in Marvel. Right. Like, right, they're willing right. to play a two-man Llanowar right? Right. right? Just to get their Marvel out faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, like... It's weird that they don't have, like, Ruin in their wake. Like, what if there was... You know, or ruin in their way, kind of, kind of card that they could play. Maybe they should play that. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, maybe I would also like it if there was a, a way you could play uh, Athalia's Lancers deck that would um, just not be completely out. <laughs> the problem is, if there's no Marvel, you could just make Athalia's Lancers deck, right? I think it would match up pretty well against Black, Green, and Blue, White. You just have to figure out what the right configuration right. is, right? Because you know, you just live long enough and then you bruna them is one thing. Yeah. Or you could just, like, get a bunch of card advantage and then just, like, trade, 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 trade. And then have a bunch of card advantage. You have, like, a bunch of 4-4s. You have some angels. You know, a bunch of first strikers. Like, these are both ways that you could go. And then, like, once you have bruna, like, you can outclass sure. a bunch of the decks, right? But the problem is a deck like that, which has to go deep, is not really doing anything to, like, completely take over the game until turn maybe 5 or 6 or even even later. This could never be competitive with more. I, I want something that makes Splendid Reclamation good. See, the problem is, if you imagine something that makes Splendid Reclamation good, I understand. it just becomes a tool for decks I like understand. Marvel. I just, I just want There's Splendid just like, Reclamation. She's like, oh, I want my, my combo-ish, card advantageous kind of card to work, right? Yes. But the only way that I could do that is if I speed up the mid-range-ish elements of this. But guess what? What, what are the odds? The enemy is also able to use the same tools. What do you think the odds of Emrakul getting banned in standard are? Very low. Yeah? It's I, it's not fun to play against, but um, I think the, that... The, the thing th- is... But, 
the but thing Smuggler's is, Copter's not fun to play against either. That's fair. Okay. Yes. And and but, I by think, the way, smug, so Smuggler's Copter's in the Vintage Cube. Yeah. It's awesome. So that card is like just to give you an idea of how good that card is. It's it. It just goes. If you're going to play like an aggro deck or a creature deck in the Vintage Cube, that card's just fantastic. Try going second against Blue White, against a version that has both Rattle Chains, and <laughs> and um, and. Uh, uh, I can't remember the stupid name, but the counterspell for two three flyer. Oh, spellcaller. Okay, it has both spellcaller and rattle chains, right? Yeah. You might not resolve a spell. Like the opponent casts a guy on turn one and turn two, and then you try to use removal spells, and they just rattle chains and spellcaller you every turn until you're dead. Okay. And if you get stuck using man on your own turn, they just land Gideon and kill you. Right. I think that's way more oppressive. Sure. Than playing against. Than playing against Emrakul, which you at least have time. Here's the thing. And expensive cards to play. Against. Here's the thing, though. Uh, the, the, which feels to me, feels makes Emrakul feel a little more punishing. Is you play against a really good player. Yeah. They take your turn, right? Yeah. Just assuming you're just like average Friday night magic. Yep, yep. Right. They take your turn and they demolish you. Right. They sure. just they solve the puzzle of how to utterly. It's you happened know, to me. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. They're like, yep, and then I'm going to Burning Wish for I'll, Demolish. I'll sacrifice your two mountains and destroy all your artifacts. The worst thing that ever happened to me was I was in the top eight of an Invitational Qualifier. I'd already beaten this guy earlier in the day, but I had a slow draw in game three. He emerald me, and on my turn, I drew a counterspell. I was just like, I think I can get out of the Emrakul, right? But he's just like, nope, yeah. this, this, cast your crush, counter your crush. And I was just like, <laughs> they just like hard casts my Den Protectors, and I'm like, I was gonna get out of this, you know. <laughs> yeah, I did that to someone in a in a modern, no, an extended, yeah. where I like basically mind slavered them on turn two off of like Mana Vault Key, okay. and then like basically played two moxes out of their hand, uh, imprinted cards, enlightened tutored for nothing twice, yes. and then burning wished for demolish, and then sacrificed their two mountains and killed everything on the board. Sounds like they deserved it. They, they had no cards, no permanents at the end of it. It was pretty sweet. Had to draw a counterspell. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Why didn't I have the counterspell the previous so anyway, turn when he cast a stupid Emrakul? So, so, but then, <laughs> then they're like, okay, well, obviously this Emrakul deck is great. I'm going to play it. And then they play, and they play their Emrakul, and they take their opponent's turn, and they perhaps don't play it as optimally. Like, I, I don't know. It just so, feels like, it feels like it's this card that is unfun to play against, and kind of not a lot of fun to play with, especially if you're not you know, playing at the highest reaches of the game. This is why I don't care that much about it. You can play deck versions that actually you just play certain cards and you actually, it's not that you're immune to Emrakul. Right. It's not that you're always going to be green-black. Well, so you, you need to think about it. But you're, sure. set, you're set up pretty well, right? Like, let's say you're playing a deck that has multiple copies of Fumigate and or Descend Upon the Sinful. What are they, when they Emrakul you, what are they going to do? Okay. Right. You're just going to... They spent a lot of resources, presumably, to get to a certain spot in the game. Yeah. And you can get out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And these same cards are good against green-black. The problem is playing some of these cards in a context where there's also the blue-white deck that has, like, potentially <coughs> rattle chains, like, three main deck, that stupid bad mana leak, you know, and, uh, and spell queller. I think, like, that I find to be much differently oppressive. And I don't know. You know, I, I, I find it not that enjoyable to play, personally. Yeah, um, I mean, I, 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 I think I feel like I could see a situation where the card actually does get. So I'm actually in a situation where I haven't played constructed FNM in several weeks, and I'm actively looking for modern tournaments. <laughs> but actually, I think modern is way more fun and way more controllable to play than standard. You should draft. There's always a draft. And I try. I just 
The last draft I did, I drafted both Aetherworks Marvel and Smuggler's Copter and went 0-1. <laughs> Perhaps those two cards don't go well together. I think they do. <laughs> Alright, so ra rather than have this go like two hours, we should probably just do another podcast at some point in okay. the near future. Um, maybe maybe after the holidays uh, when we start to see some previews for Aether, uh, Aether Revolt cards. Cool. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, Merry Christmas to you and the family, Mike. And, and uh, Happy Mithras' birthday to you. Buddy. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully uh, hopefully we'll see uh, plenty of our listeners in the new year and give you guys a, a, a lot of new content and hope everyone's doing well, playing magic, reading, seeing movies, having fun. Uh, we love you guys and uh, thanks for listening. Oh, Canada. Goodbye.